0: You're listening to the Business as Usual podcast, your weekly discussion of all things business, finance, and personal finance. And now, here's your host, Jason Hughes. Do you want to do like a welcome or like a, a sort of intro at the beginning of the podcast or you just want to like go cold. I I
1: I like I like the cold starts.
0: Yeah, it kind of works well. Oh, well that can be our start then. I was talking about the start. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um my Atlassian shares haven't been doing all that great uh the last couple of days. Yeah, I, I noticed that little dip there. Um yeah. I think it it hit an all-time high uh sort of as i bought it um i think i my buy price was about 142 yeah um and then it kind of like just simmered along at around that for a while and then it's now dropped off the last sort of basically since the beginning of the month yeah it's started dropping quite heavily it
1: looks like it's currently rolling Got a bit of volume coming through on the sell side. Like, it tried to push up there last night. Um, yeah. But kind of got whacked down once it hit the 50 SMA. Yeah. Instead uh, watching yeah. It
0: overnight. I think that um, there's, there's a fair bit of news coming out around Atlassian in the last week or so. so early, like, early on in, in the week. In regards to what? So, early on in the week, there was... Um, some talk about the the atlassian founders well, i think it was um mike cannon brooks just one of them was publicly speaking about it but they've sort of encouraged their staff to take time off to participate in the climate strikes that are happening this month mm, i think it's happening uh on the 23rd i think it's happening the 20th or the 23rd mm. um there's like climate strikes there was one earlier on in the year um, and now there's like a second round and he, Mike Cannon Brooks came out and was saying that they are encouraging Atlassian staff to take time off and, uh, participate. I don't um, think that should
1: be a shock too much though. Like no, they te- technology stocks are generally quite, like the companies themselves are generally quite progressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's. Part of it is those guys, like Mike Cannon Brooks in particular, is relatively well connected. Um mm-hmm. so it's a big deal for him to come out and say that. Um like his What do you mean he's well connected? Well his dad was a a big hitter at um City, Citibank. Okay. Um I think he's retired now. But yeah, he was a big hitter at Citibank, um, and then he did—I want to say he work did something with Telstra, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. He may have just been involved in a big deal with Telstra. Okay. Um, like I know someone who used to work on the M and A team uh, at Telstra, and he he was telling me a story about like he would just like see this guy like come through and like have a chat to his supervisor. Every so often, mm-hmm. like oh, just like must be like a, a an old friend or like a like whatever, just someone he knew. And then one day he picks up the newspaper, and like there, this guy is in the newspaper, like talking about some big deal that he's just done. <laughs> he's like, oh my god, yeah. Um, so yeah, like they have connections um, up. Like obviously, Telstra is an ex-government business um all those sort of big uh investment bankers will have connections through governments just because uh if they work on infrastructure deals they will end up having connections in governments mm-hmm. um and so mike cannon brooks's family if not him his family are relatively well connected in governments um and so it was kind of a big deal for him to come out and talk about climate like that, yeah, um, and it actually spurred the big four banks to also take a position on on the strikes, okay um, so the big four banks have all basically come out and done like the p c thing and said that they will consider uh leave requests for the strikes. <laughs> Yeah. Um. So they kind of done the PC thing there, but it's progress. So yeah, yeah. It's so it's good. It's progress. Where do you stand um, on it?
1: Are you a fan of it or no? Or do you well, think should, th- you should keep business as business?
0: No, I don't think we should keep business business. But I think that, um, I think that like strikes and protests are a little bit like useless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost feel like it's. Like what's kinda of been shown this week is uh Atlassian is saying that uh, their staff can go off and uh join the protest and then it turns to the big four banks and the big four banks came out and they like made like their statements and then that was good enough. Yeah. For the media. It was like, okay, like yep, you you guys are on board, like you're doing your part for uh like climate or whatnot. Mhm. Um And I feel like the media, like, they're okay with companies sort of making these sorts of stands. And, it like, at the end of the day, it does nothing.
1: Yeah. Well, if they were to do the opposite, there would be an uproar. Yeah. Like, if you had three banks um, say yes and the the fourth say no.
0: Yeah, there would be a massive uproar about that bank. So, they kind of held hostage a little bit there. Yeah. But it just seems like there needs to be more action by business yeah on like on climate issues like real action beyond, in the business itself yeah yeah and beyond just lip service yeah um it is quite I mean, easy like at or and all the banks or like whatever like what are they gonna do like not print as many emails like <laughs> it, it kind of um like it doesn't there's not a whole lot like companies like that can do no but I definitely feel like, I mean, it's a good thing. Like anything positive, moving in that direction is a good thing. But they definitely sort of, I think there needs to be more of a move towards that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, I think I think the backing, I wouldn't say it does nothing. I think it's definitely good in, in changing the public's um, beliefs about climate change because there are still a few that, uh, don't quite believe that's happening, so yeah, uh, I still think yeah, it gives I'd... some, you know, uh, legitimacy to the other people's claims that uh, came before them. Yeah, um, yeah,
0: I think yeah, you're right on on that account. Um, I do think that protests are probably not the most effective way to do things, and.
1: I, yeah, I completely agree. We had one here in Wollongong, uh, where it was just, it, it was ridiculous. Like I'm all for climate change and whatnot, but we had this group that came through and they held up the busiest intersection in Wollongong. Yeah. So we had miles of, um, traffic buildup and congestion and all those cars are obviously just burning fossil fuels while they're sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. And it just it just really went against what they were going for. And yeah. and they weren't really getting anyone on their side. Like they were blocking cars. And the cars are like, We don't care if you're protesting, just protest on the side of the road. Like we're yeah. trying to get somewhere. Yeah,
0: so it most just people angers people. Yeah, and- most
1: people were just angered from that from that protest. So if you're gonna if you're going to protest, you have to do it right.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of like a a popular movement that's actually like gained traction. Um, I can't think of one now. They must, I know there have been some, that they do gain traction among the general people and they they do good. Um, Mm. But they, yeah, they don't, once you start getting, once you start inconveniencing people, It just seems like oh like what's that gonna do yeah like you what you're by having the protest and inconveniencing people you get media attention yeah well and you get the support of people who already support you exactly it's like so you need you need to be like coming up with sort of smarter ways of doing these things
1: the big one i think recently was maybe the uh vegan protests in melbourne where they yeah they they didn't like gain
0: any traction like they they just just angered a lot of people yeah yeah and that's like the other uh the other sort of big big protest movement at the moment is the whole the vegan thing and like a lot of like the vegan movements claims are totally valid, Mm. like completely valid that the way we treat farm animals is terrible. And the environmental impacts of a lot of these farming practices is terrible, Mm -hmm. but by, and, and there are perfectly valid claims on the other side as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, but by coming out and by these vegan processes being so insistent on it and being so like provocative about it, you just in today's media climate you create the people who are for veganism and the people who are against veganism. Yeah. And the simple fact is, you're not going if someone isn't vegan and they don't want to become vegan, you're not going to convince them. Like you can show them as many. Horrific photos and videos and statistics and whatnot they are not going to care yeah now like you're not you 're not going to stop them from buying their meat
1: <laughs> funnily enough I actually off topic I went on a meat only diet at the uh, end of last year,
0: really <laughs> <laughs>
1: only meat just meat i was a uh, I was cancelling out one vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, no. I, I 100% agree. It's uh um, yeah, that's it just... it's not inviting at all when you're yeah. when you're going about it in that way.
0: Yeah. Anyway, back to Atlassian. There was that news and then later in the week they've and I haven't had a whole lot of time to read about this yet, but they've readjusted their pricing tiers for their uh software. Mm-hmm. So for Jira and Confluence specifically, They're introducing a free tier, um, which is severely limited. Um, And then,
1: sorry, was that for teams under five?
0: Yeah, I think for Gyra it was under five.
1: Yeah, and then for
0: Confluence it was under ten, I think. Okay. Um, And then there's a bunch of other features. Like that software is highly 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 complex and there's a lot of features in it um and i'm sure they've done they're thinking about which features to introduce to what pricing tiers and whatnot it's such a good
1: idea to have a free tier for small groups
0: yeah um but i wonder like i don't think the market's taken that too well okay um like, I wonder how many teams there are that will get away with not paying. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they would also, have all the data on this. Yeah, I'm sure they've done a lot of work on this. The other section of it was, so Atlassian kind of has two um, like two product categories, I guess you could say, is that they've got their on-cloud uh, customers and they've got on-premises customers where... There's a server hosted on on the premises. Yep. And that's kind of their legacy business because they've, they've been going a long time. And they're trying to get everyone onto cloud. And one of the things that came out this week was that they're going to indefinitely allow... Um, indefinitely allow on-premises customers to access the cloud service. Um, at least some tier of the cloud service. Mm-hmm. Until... In, in an effort to get everyone onto cloud. Yeah. Um, and then there were a few other things, like they're allowing that sort of int- rolling out a feature where you can choose where geographically your data is stored. So, like, you can store it in data centers in Europe or in Australia or in the U.S. And you can start to do that. That's cool. Um, and it's built on AWS, which means that I think AWS already has some of this functionality, or businesses that run on AWS have already introduced some of this functionality, uh, but at a much more granular level, so you can start talking about specific data centers. um, So that hopefully will roll out for Atlassian's products as well. Um, But yeah, I think that the the market hasn't hasn't taken kindly to Atlassian recently. Um spe- especially this last week. I think that the, the climate stuff was quite polarizing. Yeah. Um and I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But it's also it was it's at a all, it was at an all time high last month. Yeah. So And I mean um,
1: it's it's still like very much on trend. Yeah. Like there it, it it's a small little blip, you know. Yeah, I can't see it might be much of a big issue. I'm just yeah. lucky I haven't bought into my shares just yet.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking about buying some more now that it's come down.
1: Yeah, well, now you've got to think about how you're going to dollar cost average and where you're going to do it because yeah. you you don't want to you don't want to use all your dry powder too high up because I've had that problem in the past. You you average down too high up. And yeah. the stock actually runs lower than what you think it will.
0: Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to down. hit it
1: uh, like a 110 area. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: because it was sitting up, it was sitting down at about 120 or 123 ish for quite a few months. Yeah. Like between about May, at the end of May, or the beginning of May, sorry, it had a big run up. And then it sat flat there for a while and has only just sort of slowly climbed Mm -hmm. um so it could it could absolutely come down to about 120 if it if it drops below 125 i'll look at buying more i think yeah um but also my position size is still quite small so yeah just gotta be wary of like brokerage costs
1: yeah for sure
0: um but yeah that that's uh what my sort of portfolio is looking like um did you have any big big movements in my portfolio yeah
1: no i haven't really had any big movements i didn't put it put any trades on this week um yeah but i know i've been like on the fence recently i know we're going to be talking about this soon but tesla Mm. i'm actually looking deeper into tesla
0: yeah Uh, i've been on the fence with them for a little bit um, and I
1: read, yeah. I'm kind of nearly at the point where I'm thinking I might purchase a small parcel, nothing significant in Tesla.
0: Yeah. What, they're at 227 now.
1: Yeah. It's just... just have had the a company year, itself is very interesting in that there's no other company that's attracted the level of short interest that Tesla has achieved. Not like, at the moment. At the moment, anyway. It's like 30% short or something. It's just unreal.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it's it's a highly, highly polarizing company. Yeah. And that, I think, will explain a lot of why.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, I can adjust my position size to suit the level of risk that I'm willing to take in Tesla.
0: Yeah, it it's an it's a difficult difficult one cuz who recently left was it um JB Strawball that left? Mhm. Um it's difficult. Um there's the potential for Tesla to become like the the industry leader. Mhm. But there's also the potential for it to just go to zero. For sure, and, that, and have you
1: seen that? You've seen that with the analysts' bull and bear cases. Some are a yeah. little bit ridiculous. Like you had a couple of months ago, you had the ten dollar bear case or something silly. Yeah, and the the four thousand dollar bull case. Like yeah, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, how can they be so so opposite?
0: Yeah, I think like I I recently read um uh what's his name Simon Sinek. He wrote quite a famous book called uh, Start with Why. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a self-helpy kind of book. I read it this week. And it talks a lot about brand awareness and why brands succeed. Um, and part of it he was saying is like, or what he was saying is kind of the main reason is because a brand has a why. Mm-hmm. Like, why does a brand exist? And he was very sort of complimentary of Apple and was saying that Apple is so successful because Steve Jobs had a very clear why and that he wanted to change the world or he wanted to to revolutionize industries. Mm -hmm. And he did that with the computers and he did that with music and he did that with phones. And... If you and so people buy Apple products and spend more money on Apple products for uh, by the specs, uh, an inferior products, but it's Apple and they buy it because it's Apple. And he said that it's something that just feels right to someone who buys an Apple product. Mm-hmm and that's because their their sort of mission statement is very clear and they understand what their mission statement is and i i think tesla to a point has that it's got obviously a very desirable brand yeah um but i think it's got a desirable brand to a specific group of people who are i guess tech enthusiasts yeah and probably younger people and so it's very easy to get swept up in that uh when like i'm a tech enthusiast and a young person so it's very easy to get swept up in the the case for tesla and like it's hard to te- separate
1: the- your bias though it's like is am i am i liking this product because of my bias or oh, sorry the company because of my bias or am i liking it because just because of the company yeah, and what it and what it offers in terms of its brand.
0: Yeah, so I think that there, there's a large, there's a large sell on Tesla's brand. Like, you, if you buy a Tesla, you buy a Tesla.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it it kind of almost doesn't even matter when you, if you ask someone what car they have. And they have a Tesla. They'll reply with Tesla. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if it's, a, <laughs> if it's a Model S, if it's a Model Y, or what variant it is, it, yeah. it, they'd have a Tesla. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty important. Um, but then also, what happens when someone's got a five-year-old Tesla and it's still just as good Yeah. To for, from a brand perspective? Well, from a
1: performance perspective as well, I looked at a couple comparisons with the Taycan yeah, and the t- the twenty fifteen Model S. Yeah, and the twenty fifteen Model S actually came out on top.
0: Yeah, look, it comes out on top in some areas, it doesn't come out on top in other areas. They're like basically the same. I mean, like what there was three miles per hour difference in the top speed and zero point two seconds on the like zero to yeah, 60 like time. it had a little
1: bit of extra range. It had it was a little bit quicker. Had a little bit extra boot space. It was a little bit better in in most aspects, but you're also getting it for um, half the price as well.
0: Yeah, well, I think the the Tesla, like the comparable model is like 150 grand. Yeah. And the Porsche starts at 180, I think.
1: Yeah, well, I'm looking at the the Model S here. So we've got... Mm -hmm the take-in turbo and the take-in turbo s so the take yeah. turbo is 150k and the yeah. s model is 185 yeah the model s is 100 so i'm just going to compare the take-in turbo s to the model s so it's just just over half half the price of the take-in turbo s it's yeah. got 345 miles of range compared with 256 yeah it's got a little bit less max torque. So nineteenth sorry, 931 versus 1050.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The top speed is 163 miles per hour versus 161 miles per hour. It's quicker 0 to 60, 2.4 to 2.6. Uh, what's that? Length, width. That's not what I want to see. Wheelbase, drag coefficient. Yes, that's all I've really got here. Um, yeah.
0: So overall.
1: And it's, and it's roughly half the price.
0: Yeah, it, it's the important thing with cars always yeah. is it's roughly half the price to like the ticket price. Um, once you start adding extras, obviously always with cars, it oh, starts course. going up and up and up. And then you also have to factor in distribution yep. because that's going to affect the price as well. Um, so the thing that Porsche has... Um, over Tesla is a massive distribution network that's been built up over decades. And so those distribution costs are going to be much, much lower. And you're also going to be able to buy whenever this uh, comes out. Obviously, there's the initial sort of manufacturing run, but once Porsche starts to get this rolling, you're going to be able to walk into a Porsche dealership and get the car within a matter of weeks. Yeah, the Whereas one thing, a, the yeah. one
1: argument that I thought was interesting was that Porsche is basically gonna have to be selling to their clients that have essentially more money and those are what the the Taycan is marketed towards. Absolutely, yeah. And they, yeah, 100%. So I don't know the margin that they'd be getting on the take in versus what tesla's getting on the model s but i can imagine they'd be trying to lower the price as much as physically possible in order to compete with the model s so i think their, their margin if any if they had any on the take would be just so small compared to the model s so it's interesting because Porsche and Audi and all the rest of them they generally make a lot of their money from their uh clients with who are, who are purchasing these more luxury vehicles? Yeah, but now they're actually turning into a lower margin car, whereas before they were a much higher margin.
0: Yeah, look, so I, I think you you have to.
1: It's a tough. It's tough for. I think it's tough for them because they they're having to cannibalize their their profits by offering this electric vehicle that's they're basically making no money
0: on. Well, in we don't order really to know compete. that,
1: do we? Well, you could look it up, surely.
0: Well, I, well that that'll be very much a uh, secret information for now. Yeah. Like I'm sure it'll start to come out how yeah. much it costs them and what their margins are and they'll probably talk about it at some point. But I think for now we don't really know. Yeah. Um, but well, well, I think that the, the it would point be their is, margins like would they, be
1: less than the the us isa uh, uh, compar- yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Comparative but model, But I think that they They have to cannibalize themselves. That's just the nature of the industry right now is electric cars are going to be the future. And it's not not like, oh, in 2022, we're going to have 50% electric cars. It's it's going to take a while, Mm -hmm. but electric cars are going to become more and more relevant. And it's like, uh, what's the famous example? Um, Kodak. Yeah. Who refused to start a digital camera line because they didn't want... Because digital cameras were less profitable than film cameras because they couldn't get... They couldn't sell film, obviously, for digital cameras. And they decided not to push ahead with digital cameras and it killed their business because they didn't want to cannibalize themselves. Other people cannibalized them. Yeah. Um. And so it makes total business sense for Porsche to make an electric car. I still think it's a Um, tough
1: decision, though, surely...
0: I don't think it's a tough decision at all. I think it's an obvious decision. Mm. Yeah. It's an obvious like Tesla is getting so much attention and there are so many people talking about electric cars, like obviously they have to make one. Mm. Obviously. I mean, there's like laws in some countries that are making that are gonna make gas powered cars. Yeah. So it's like, well, if you wanna say if you wanna keep selling cars, well, gotta make an electric one. Yeah. Uh, like in terms of will Tesla come out over Porsche in terms of sales or whatever, um, it's a difficult question because one, Tesla are trying to do something different than Porsche. And Tesla is trying to make a mass market car. Yeah. Um,
1: I I think think Porsche, they had 30,000 pre-orders for the Taycan. I don't know what and that compares you with, say, what? the roads, the Tesla Roadster. Yeah,
0: because uh, well, I guess the Tesla Roadster is really the one that we should be comparing it to.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's the it'd be comparable in price. Yeah. Because people aren't people aren't really going to be buying the Model S for a luxury car. It's like a no. su- it's a sedan.
0: Yeah. They'd well, be I guess the-, the difference is like the. Um, the Taycan oh. is a sedan. Yeah, like it's a four door. Um, oh, is so it? So it. What will be? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. What okay. will be interesting is when the they make a um electric 911. Yes. Because yeah. that's because that's Porsche's car. Yeah. And so that. Will I do.
1: Be, I do really like the look of the Taycan, though.
0: It does look pretty cool. Like, um, I definitely prefer it over the. Over the Model S. Yeah. Like, the Model S looks... I mean, I don't want to annoy any Tesla owners, but it kind of looks like a Mazda 3 to me.
1: Or like a Toyota. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like, it just doesn't look... Like, sometimes you see them and they're done in, like, a specific color. And, what like, you kind of look... Oh, that's, like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But, like... I saw it, it it just I, looked I, very normal whereas the its can looks v- like it looks retro in a way. Yeah. Well, I like think it looks it's like the, an old the
1: white the white rim on the on the tire.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, it looks kind of retro in a way, uh but then it, it looks like it's been almost like they've made a classic Porsche. And made it electric, and they've kind of adjusted a few things mm. so that you can tell it's electric. So, look, how I think does,
1: how does Porsche compare with its like software?
0: Um, so it's not going to be nearly as good as a Tesla. Yeah, but um, I wonder how it's quickly... going to. Well, what do you mean by software? Do you mean like self driving, or do yeah, and mean... that sort of stuff? I don't think they're doing any self driving stuff at this okay. point. Um, yeah, I, I, don't think, it, I don't Do they have cameras in there? I'm not sure.
1: Cause I wonder if they're actually gonna start collecting data uh, like Tesla did. Mm. Or if they're just they're just leaving it as is. And everyone I like, think the they're people probably, are gonna be driving it.
0: I can imagine they'd probably leave it as is and mm-hmm. people drive it mostly because like who bu- who buys a Porsche?
1: Rich people. <laughs>
0: like ri- yeah, rich people <laughs> and people who care about the car.
1: Mhm. Okay,
0: and so the people who care about the car are going to want to drive it. Yeah. Okay, so why
1: did- why have a spec out car that can do 0 to 60 miles per hour in 2.6 seconds and you just casually have it on autopilot. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it's like the people who buy a porsche they are they're car enthusiasts and this mm-hmm. is like the other point i was going to make is like porsche are selling to a different group of people than tesla are selling to yeah um that they're, they're selling to a group of people who love their cars and like they're selling to like my boss for example he's someone who just he watches the formula one Uh, every week and he can't imagine buying an electric car because he's like oh well it wouldn't be able to go around the track or like like those are the arguments he has okay and that's who porsche is selling to yeah whereas tesla saying well like it doesn't matter it's not going around the track you're not you're never going to take it on the track uh because tesla are selling to the people who want to be able to have autopilot in their car and who want to be able to make the thing fart and like (laughs) that's a hundred percent
1: you're a hundred percent right there (laughs) you would never ever see that with porsche they're not going to introduce farting in their car
0: no and so like like this is where i think simon sinek was right on is like The Tesla is getting sold to a person who just like Tesla is right for them, yeah. And they will come out and say, "Oh well, look at like these specs are better and it's a better price." But also, if the specs were better and the Porsche was a better price, they would still buy the Tesla.
1: Did you know the Tesla Roadster? I'm just looking at now the 2020 model because that one's the one that we should be comparing it to. Yeah it doesn't have any
0: has no mirrors. side mirrors yeah
1: i didn't notice that before
0: yeah um how did they get was... around that legally he has he has said this um i think they're going to make them like detachable or something like uh-huh. easily detachable and so they can because it, it was something about at least the law in the US or wherever they um where they were making the argument for is it's legal to have a car on the road that doesn't have side mirrors, but it has to be manufactured with side mirrors. Or it was like you're allowed to manufacture it without side mirrors, but it's not legal to drive without side mirrors. So they were like going op- like to give an option to like you can buy some side mirrors for it. <laughs> like it, it was something like convoluted like that, which is okay. just stupid. But also, like, nobody's gonna... Like, the people who buy a, a Roadster are gonna be the people who buy the Roadster. And it's like, just... It doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know? Um, it's like the people who buy supercars are gonna be... They're just... There's people who buy supercars. It doesn't matter, like, how practical it is. Um, but this is exactly sort of what Simon Sinek was saying, is that we can get tied up in which of the cars is better, but... The fact of the day is there's a large group of people who are going to buy the, who given the choice between the two would buy Tesla because it's Tesla. Mm -hmm. And there's a large group of people who would buy Porsche because it's Porsche. Yeah. Just like there's a large group of people who would never ever buy an iPhone because it's an iPhone. Yeah. And they just won't. Um, Even if the iPhone is objectively the better choice, they just won't buy it. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, like there's a lot of people who, because they just don't buy into what the iPhone is. Um, on the other hand, there's a large group of people who will buy an iPhone because it's an iPhone, and like that's yeah. just that. Um, It'll be.
1: I mean, we'll know the answer to this in about a year's time, anyway, when they actually start pumping out these cars.
0: Yeah, look, and I once- think this is their first their first car the the real answer is going to come when the 911 comes out it's because yeah like i'll tell you i work with um a fair amount of like a lot of my clients are like fairly wealthy and the two most popular cars that we finance are like range rover sports and Porsche 911s yeah and like, oh, well, I guess probably like um, Toyota Hiluxes are up there because we do a lot of trades, tradies. Yeah. Um. But yeah, in terms of like nice cars, Porsche nine elevens is probably the most popular car, from what I can see. Yeah. And it's it's a classic Porsche car, and when you see it, you know it's a that's a nine eleven. Like. Um, but it's also that car is a car that people like to drive. Um, and it is completely like almost terribly built. Like the the engines way in the back, like almost over the back wheels. And so it's a, it's horrible to drive because <laughs> the back end just slides out all the time. People and, love that though. Yeah, but people love it because it's, it's a car and it's you're having to control it around the track. It's not an autopilot car. Yeah. And so if they can make that electric and make people still love it, then Porsche are off to the races on electric cars, it doesn't necessarily that mean that Tesla's not gonna survive, mm-hmm. but it means that Porsche's uh, customer base is gonna be is gonna be served well, by they'll electric be able cars. To, yeah,
1: and they'll be able to maintain their <laughs> customer base then, which is what yeah. it's all about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then I guess that like the next steps are. I know the Audi e-tron is coming out. That's made some noise. That's another... That probably is more comparable to Tesla. There's probably going to be more people who will buy an Audi e-tron than that would have bought a Tesla.
1: I do... I do like the look of it
0: as well. Which one? The
1: Audi e-tron. Yeah. I don't have the stats on it though.
0: I don't know how much we have on it. But yeah, like the Audi e-tron, I guess... It's a very, it's a very normal looking car. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see what Ferrari do. Ooh, yes. Um, I haven't heard anything about Ferrari electric car. Let's see if I can find, um, oh, wait, they, May 30th, how, Ferrari unveils its first plug-in production car, still not ready for all electric. Okay. So they've got a plug-in. I'm guessing a hybrid. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember seeing this on um on the Financial Review. Um, so they've got a zero to sixty in two point five seconds. Um,
1: Wait a second! I thought the Audi e-tron was like a sedan, not a SUV. I
0: think I think there may be.
1: I guess they've got two.
0: Yeah, I think there is one of them that's a uh, a sedan um so it's got so this ferrari has a 780 horsepower engine oh this is cool so it's got three small electric motors that produce 162 kilowatts Mm -hmm. um it's got a 25 kilometer range on the battery yeah um and basically it can go all electric up to 135 k's an hour and above that the engine kicks in okay that's interesting
1: hmm does the engine charge the battery
0: no i don't think so so that okay it's a plug-in battery yeah um
1: that's kind of interesting i guess if you're going like a when i drive i only drive say him was it 25 miles 25
0: kilometers
1: 25 kilometers so yeah so from where i am into town and back i think it's 20 kilometers yeah so you could well i mean i could jump
0: in your ferrari
1: jump in my ferrari (laughs) pick up my shopping and um yeah make it back without the engine having to be kick uh kick in
0: yeah which seems like that may be possibly a more viable option Like some sort of like a crossover like that, where Mm -hmm. it's technically a hybrid, but it runs on electricity for most of general use. It's definitely... And so the engine doesn't have to turn on. It's definitely easier
1: and will probably curb a lot of people's range anxiety. Yeah. But I mean, I, I looked at the Tesla Roadster, and I know it's a premium car, but it's range in its 2020 model is going to be 600 uh, plus miles. Yeah. It's like 620 miles or whatever it was.
0: I wonder if it would be cheaper, like I mean- given given the the real sort of bottleneck for electric car production is battery capacity mm-hmm. and making enough cells to put in the car. So if you have a car like this, which is, hey, for your everyday travel needs, because, like, let's face it, for most people, if you put probably 50Ks of range into it, yeah. that's probably good enough for most people every day. And then they get home and they plug it in. So, for your everyday travel needs, you can be totally electric. And then when you decide to go further, um, there is uh, an engine that can kick in and you can drive. On your engine for whatever, like the the tank gives you, yeah. Um, that maybe if that would be cheaper to make, that could be very very enticing.
1: I think for electric cars, the real kicker is when we get solid state batteries. I think that's when electric, solid state so- batteries, yeah, lithium solid state batteries. I think that's when they'll absolutely fly because the range. Uh, essentially doubles. No, no, no.
0: To fly, they need wings.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... Sorry, they that, that was a
0: bad joke. <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> well, there were talks of them putting them in planes, but that's another... That's another story.
0: they are some electric planes.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: um, but... I think Virgin did one.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, the solid-state yeah. batteries, when they get a double the range, like if you had... The same cells in the Roadster and had twelve hundred miles of range. That's pretty.
0: What's what's difference in in a solid state battery?
1: I haven't done research, into It. I just know they have a higher energy density than um, the lithium ions. I don't know why. Okay. I haven't I haven't looked into it exactly. Be it's interesting just, to see. I'd like to know sort of a timeline because if there's talks of it always, you know, being close to coming out but it yeah no specific deadlines on it but yeah. when that comes out that that's what's going to crush um, internal combustion engines is when you have that sort of range because most internal combustion engine, engines don't get that kind of range no one
0: yeah can. yeah no one can do a thousand K's
1: well more like if you had double that you had 1200 miles.
0: So if yeah, you had so 900, yeah.
1: 1,900 kilometers.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. And then at that point, yeah, I mean, now you can go further, you can go faster, you can do everything better than a, a combustion engine. Um, I guess the other part of like the, this whole equation is on the performance side, you can't drive an electric car fast for a long time. Yeah. Um, They overheat. And so this is one of the big things that Porsche came out and did, was they came out with a time at Nürburgring, which is a... I'm not that up on cars, but I did a little bit of reading into it this morning. Okay. Nürburgring is a sort of gold standard track that performance cars have times at and it's some. It's I think it's about 20k's around it's like a 7 minute lap and when performance cars come out it's the sort of thing that would be discussed on like Top Gear and yeah. what's, there, what's the time around Nürburgring um, and Tesla has never put down a time there because the car can't get around that quick because it has, it can't really be driven at, like, full capacity. Because if it's driven that fast, it'll overheat. And so, I guess, up until this point, there's been no reason for Tesla to put down Ooh. a time there.
1: In saying that, there was a tweet from Elon Musk.
0: That he's now sending one over. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yesterday. But
0: this is what I was saying, is that up until now porsche well tesla have never had to put one down yeah because there's no other electric car manufacturer or hasn't been that has put one down and if they did go out and do it it would be significantly worse than it like normal combustion engine cars yeah right but now that porsche's done it tesla has to go and do it and in in an ideal world they would beat them uh, beat beat the Porsche's time in Elon's ideal world. Well, it's but at it's this hard point, for them to
1: say they have the best car when they don't have the quickest round the um the track.
0: Yeah, like the gold standard track. Yeah. Um, but up until this point, putting a time down would only be detrimental to them because everyone would say, "Well, oh, have a look at this really cheap uh car from Audi or." Whatever. That's half the price of the Tesla, but can go around Nurburgring much faster. Mm-hmm. But now, like, sort of, there's competition, and it's it. If they at least come close to the time that Porsche puts puts around there, I think they did like seven minutes or something.
1: They did seven um, minutes forty-two.
0: Yeah. If they come close to that, then it's like okay, well, we're we're still on equal footing with Porsche. I want to they know call what, it.
1: Like... They call the track Green Hell.
0: Green Hell.
1: Yeah, that's probably. I don't know if that's talking about the batteries and how. Maybe. And how bad it is for them.
0: So the Lamborghini Aventador did six six forty four. Okay. Um, the Porsche nine eleven GT two RS has done six forty seven around there. So. The electric cars are a, a minute off. Yeah. Um, it's still very uh respectable.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean they're gonna they'll get better eventually, but
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, the, the overheating but, thing.
0: Yeah. Well I noticed that when I ride uh, my electric skateboards around and you feel when you push it hard for a couple of minutes you start to feel the performance drop off. Yeah. Because uh, it just starts getting hot, and when it gets hot, there's more resistance in the circuit, and not a, not as many electrons can get around. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's the other side of it. Is the racing side of it needs to sort of mature a little bit. So there is um, Formula E, which is run by the FIA, and yep. is kind of it's a bit of a weird weird competition all the cars are exactly the same and it's done mainly to promote electric cars yep um rather than be sort of a real professional racing competition but formula one are starting to use hybrid technology um obviously they've had the KERS system for a while which i think is basically hybrid technology where they um they capture some of the energy from braking and charge up a battery or a capacitor or something. Mm-hmm. And then uh when they're on the straights they can use that to overtake.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Um so they've been do- they've been doing that for about 10 years now. Um and they're probably going to start expanding the the hybrid technology in Formula 1 cars. Um, and then eventually like the, the gold standard would be if formula one goes electric. Like I can tell you if formula one goes electric. My boss will buy an electric car because that's <laughs> like his, the thing he always, it, it comes up in the office from time to time. Like one of the, uh, like someone's clients will buy a Tesla and then the conversation comes up about our electric car is the way to go. And he always comes back to, but formula one hasn't done it. So it, like, it can't be that good. So, yeah, like that will be the tipping point for him.
1: <laughs> well, it makes sense though. The The pinnacle of racing, yeah, you know,
0: yeah. So, right now, the pinnacle of racing is internal combustion engine. And so, that is right now like the best performance you can get out of a car is from an engine. But one day it'll, it'll be electric. Yeah, I'd, I think it'll be a while. Oh yeah, it'll be a long time For for that, I guess It'll be a long time for that sort of format um, But in terms of like just raw performance over one lap I think that it's not that long Until yeah. I mean, what is um, I'm going to see what Nürburgring F1 Let's see, what what's this time?
1: Um, I'm really excited for next week then I Why? didn't even know that was happening.
0: What's happening next week?
1: Like either either way with the, well, the Model S on the ring.
0: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that'll be cool to like to either see way. If he time... beats it,
1: if he beats it, that's cool. But if he doesn't beat it, it's gonna be interesting to see the reaction as well. Either way.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. No, this can't be right. What so is apparently, it? so German German Grand Prix. Surely this isn't. No, it's not. Never mind. I thought that the F1 car I was doing one minute around there. Like, no, that cannot be right. Um, but yeah, current. Surely they've put an F1 car around there. Uh, it doesn't look like they have. But they're looking at um, putting uh, putting the F1 uh, back on Nurburgring. Yeah. Like the putting Nurburgring on the season.
1: I honestly think he will be. Elon will be as nervous as one of his rocket launchers.
0: Yeah, probably. It's
1: it's such a massive thing.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's it's relatively big, but then also he's not gonna lose his base over it because he has the other specs on his side.
1: Yeah. Well it could I mean it's the Model S, so if it doesn't beat it he could say, Oh, we've got a you know, the roadster will beat it. Even though they haven't put the roadster on it, they could just yeah. say it for the time being. And it gives him yeah. another year.
0: Or he will go and like make a version of the car that can beat it and then sell <laughs> that version of the car for like the same price as well, yeah. for 150000 or something. Yeah. Like that's something he would do if he really cared about it.
1: Actually, yeah. He's probably, probably sending the performance model around for sure.
0: Oh, he definitely would. He'd send the best the- one possible. But then if it doesn't do it, he'll say, oh, yeah, but we'll change this thing. He'll like, take a team of
1: engineers with him. So be like, "Oh guys, you got to tweak this car for us." Yeah, we need to shave then, an extra fifteen seconds And they'll change off.
0: something. Yeah, shave some time off, and then sell that version of the car for one hundred and fifty grand. Yeah, and and just win, like basically. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that'll be quite fun to watch on Twitter this next week. Yeah, uh, and, uh, so and if what? you were to buy one, if you had. $180,000. Yeah. Would you buy would you buy a Porsche or would you buy a Tesla?
1: If I had an 180,000.
0: Yeah. If you, if you could buy either, like which one?
1: I'd buy a Roadster. A
0: Roadster.
1: <laughs> I mean the Roadster is 200,000 versus 180.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I if, I have to say I, like
1: Yeah, I would I would buy a Tesla personally. Because I and not, like, a car guy. Yeah. I'm not one that's going to be taking it around a track. Like, sure. Like, I'm driving a Hyundai XL at the moment, right? Yeah. Like, the thing accelerates to zero to 60 miles. Probably probably takes you, like, 60 seconds or something stupid, you know? Yeah. Like, it's having... the Picking up a Tesla and putting the foot flat to the ground versus the Porsche Taycan, putting that... I'm not going to notice the difference really, yeah. either one. And for me, the well the they kick both is,
0: hit like crazy.
1: Yeah, they're both they're both going to throw you back into your seat. They're both unreal cars. Yeah. So for me, it's it's more of a it's more on the brand, the tech. Yeah, well, it's the brand. Yes, um, I do tech. like Tesla, but the tech with the the software and the autopilot. Yeah. Um, the well, if you had
0: to choose between the Model S or the Taycan, which one would you go for?
1: Um, if, if I got, if I had to pay the same amount, I would pick probably the Taycan cause it looks nice. Yeah. Um, but if it was on price, knowing that I could buy it for a hundred and get 80 and be, and be in front 80 grand, yeah, then I would buy the Tesla.
0: Yeah. I think I, I'd have to go for the Porsche. Yeah. Like you'd have a Porsche and that immediately like that's not a polarizing car to have yeah like so on brand for me i'd like well if you own a porsche like it's that's not gonna be a negative thing you're not gonna end up in a conversation with anyone that oh well you're not gonna be talking about vegan cars.
1: vegan interiors and
0: yeah and you're not gonna have like that conversation where it's like oh i don't know if i would buy an electric car or but so so the first thing is going to be porsche like oh you've got a porsche like what, which one is this like whatever and you say oh it's actually electric and then you can have the conversation and be like well oh, let's go for a drive and i'll show you uh, yeah um you know and yeah. and also like i just i think porsche as a as a brand is cool like i, I just buy the porsche
1: yeah um, well if, if money wasn't an issue yeah, if you got given one for free. If I got given one for free, I'd pick the Porsche. Yeah. Versus the uh, Model S. If it so was versus the Roadster, I'd pick the Roadster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, before we move on to the next topic, I just wanted to bring up... I saw a video on um, YouTube while I was browsing last night. It was titled something like Joe Rogan's entire being in 20 seconds. <laughs> and it's, just, it's a clip from one of his podcasts. And was he's sitting he? there... What? He's sitting there and he says, they were talking about life insurance, I think, before. Okay. And he, he's like, oh, so we are condensing the worth of someone's entire life into a dollar value. Mm-hmm. Like, interesting. Interesting. And he pauses for a few seconds and he goes, did you see the video of that guy who hit a deer on accident? <laughs> 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 and he's like, Jamie, pull that up. <laughs> pull that up. Oh my god, that is like that's so true. Yeah, I was I was watching a clip, thing.
1: and um, he got Jamie to pull something up, and then Jamie went on a tangent and started yeah. googling random shit.
0: <laughs> I like, Jamie, what are you doing? <laughs> it's so good. I was watching uh, one of them the other day. And something goes wrong and you see Jamie, like, run out. There's a door out the back of the studio. You don't mm-hmm. usually notice it because you don't look over there. And, like, Jamie, like, runs out the door and then he <laughs> runs back. <laughs> he always had to go grab something.
1: The, one of the best ones was, uh... He was in his... He was in, like, a spacesuit. It was something about how oh, high... yeah. How yeah. high he can get. I it's saw that like,
0: this morning. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Like, the highest Joe Rogan's being or, or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: it would be it would be nice to have his studio and be doing this podcast in a studio oh, like
0: that. It would be so good. Yeah. So good, man. But I, if
1: you like, I look back to his early podcasts, and they were very, very chill. I know, I know, that are a long time ago, so the tech wasn't as yeah. great. But yeah, it's it's always it's always nice to see where people have come from yeah. to where they are now.
0: Yeah, it's like, damn the the Elon Musk episode is 25 million views wow that must have picked up recently because that wasn't at 25
1: million not that long ago it, would have, it was it was up there it was probably around 10 million or so
0: yeah no i think it's probably million. probably gaining a lot of traction every time elon makes the news so that elon's been out of the news for a while so.
1: yeah well they've calmed him down a little bit i guess
0: yeah and i mean they kind of needed to
1: he needed he needed a a rain in there, yeah. Getting out of control,
0: <laughs> yeah. So the,
1: I think um, I think Joe Rogan's planning on getting a, a Tesla. He's one got the, one. Does he?
0: Yeah, he's got one.
1: Does he? He he might have been talking about getting a Roadster. Does he have a Roadster now? Uh
0: no, he's got a Model S.
1: Okay, he was um, talking he about buying it, a Roadster. He got it
0: after, uh, the Elon Musk episode. Like Musk got him to buy one.
1: That's so funny. Yeah, he must be must be very wealthy. Just like oh, oh yeah, I'll he's one. loaded. He's yeah.
0: loaded. <laughs> um, like after all the stuff he's done. Yeah. Um, let's see how much is. They estimate his net worth is twenty five million.
1: Yeah, that's so very yeah, comfortable.
0: Yeah, he's he's not a poor guy. But yeah, he he's bought one, and he for a while after he um. After the Musk episode, obviously everyone was asking him about that episode because it went so crazy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he was saying like, "Yeah, I got I got a Tesla," and it's just like it's totally insane. <laughs> I and mean, often, like when I drive t- or when I ride to the gym, there's obviously someone who lives in that area or who has to drive through that area th- at that same time uh, yeah. who owns a Tesla. And I often end up at at an intersection and he comes past and I'll like pause my music and take out my headphones and like listen to a pull off. Cause it, sh- it just is, it yeah. makes sense. Like, oh, it's not going to make any noise. It's electric, but it's really you can odd. He-
1: you can hear the motor winding up. Can't you?
0: You can sort of, sort of. So electric motors are relatively quiet or so they at, um, when they're turning slowly, they've got a very low frequency. So you don't really hear it over the noise of the tires. Mm -hmm. You only hear it once it starts like getting going a little bit. Yep. And so it's very weird when you watch it pull off that there's no engine noise. And then you start to hear it whine a little bit and it just sounds like something from the future.
1: Yeah. I see my first Tesla here. It was only a few weeks ago when I was walking along the Harbor. It was a Tesla model X. Mm. And I
0: love the Model X.
1: I didn't like the look of it that much, like, uh, in photos and whatnot, but I had it in person, and I was I really liked it.
0: Yeah, it looks like, like it, a spaceship.
1: Yeah, and it had a much wider body than what I was expecting as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it,
0: I really like it.
1: Yeah, I would definitely get one. And, uh, yeah. It looks good.
0: There's a guy who lives near me, or... Um he works, he he might have an office or something near where I live and he has he has a Model X and he has some sort of a Ferrari. And mm-hmm. I see him a couple of times a week in the Tesla.
1: Yeah, right. And then like <laughs>
0: on a Friday he'll drive his Ferrari. Picks the Ferrari up, drives the Tesla. Yeah. Jeez. Anyway. Uh, we've spoken about Tesla for like an hour at this point. So Well at
1: least we can put it in the title this time and say we can. it's not clickbait. It's definitely
0: not clickbait. <laughs> Um so did you have anything else you wanted to talk about?
1: Um, I've got a couple of little things. Um one is quite philosophical. I might talk about I might talk about the meditation stuff first All because right, let's
0: let's get philosophical. I'm pouring another glass of whiskey.
1: Okay, excellent. Well I I uh
0: Oh did you hear that?
1: I did hear that, yeah. yeah.
0: There you go. <laughs> ASMR
1: The, uh, I hadn't actually really understood meditation until I sort of watched, I can't remember who, who, who had the video. Sam Harris. No, it wasn't Sam Harris. They were talking about Sam Harris though. And the way he explained it was you're not going to get the effects of meditation initially. Mm -hmm. It's going to, it has to, it takes a long time in order to actually feel the effects when you're doing it. And he said something like, "Don't expect it after one or two or even three tries at it. Like sitting down for an hour, you're not going to get anything." He said it's more like sixty. If you sat yeah. down for every day for an hour for sixty days, on that sixty-first day, you're you're more likely to experience what it's like to to meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he explained it was the first time that's really made sense. So you sit down on the first day and you have all these thoughts running through your head and you don't, you don't try and focus on nothing. You just sort of let them thoughts flow and you try and actively solve those problems that you're thinking about when you're thinking about them. Yeah. And then each day after that, you're going to have the same thoughts, but slowly over time, they're going to be weaker and weaker and weaker because you've solved them you know, you solved them the day before. And then Mm -hmm. on the third day, you've solved them twice before. And then by the time you get to the 60th day, you've been through the same problem 60 times that it's just so far in the back of your mind, you're not even thinking about it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So it's like you're almost... Like if you were to write an essay or a report and you were to write it 10 times, that 11th, 11th time, you probably know it off by heart. And you don't have to put any effort in to actually rewrite it. And he said, that's the same thing with meditation is after you've done it, you know, 60 times or so, that's when you're not thinking about anything. And that's when you can truly meditate. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really interesting because I've always been told, you know, people meditating and stuff and how they just focus on their breath and they try not to think. But he was the opposite. He was like, no, think think it all out and try and do it each day until you can't physically do it anymore and you can't think
0: anymore. Interesting. Yeah. I've done Sam Harris's, or I did like two weeks worth of Sam Harris's meditation course.
1: Mhm. Was that his and app? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And that, it kind of takes a different approach. So the way he explained it was that the point of meditation is not not so much just to think of nothing, but it's to learn to observe what's happening in your brain and what's happening around you and to observe how those things are sort of affecting you. And so the point of focusing on the breath is to provide something for you to come back to. Mm-hmm. and like inevitably your brain is going to start to wander and you're going to start to think about other things and that's the point is to notice that you've thought about those other things uh because they happen to you and Sam Harris uh, he takes it at least in his podcast not so much in the course but in his podcast, he takes it a step further in that he he removes the idea of free will, and he says that your thoughts are just happening to you, and you can agree with that or you can uh, disagree with that. But yep. his his points with the meditation is that your thoughts really do happen to you, and you're not like you'll be sitting there and you'll be focusing on your breath, and then in the app he will go silent for like at times for 30 seconds or whatever. Then he says, if you notice yourself drifting off into other thoughts, just bring it back to your breath. And every time without fail, you're thinking about something else and you haven't realized that you're thinking about something else, Mm, which is really weird because your brain just takes you off into like a train of thought. And then you'll be reminded, oh, wait, I'm, oh, how did that happen? I was trying to focus on my breath, and now I'm thinking about monkeys. <laughs> like, and, and you realise, I mean, it's literally yeah, suddenly like just completely,
1: yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah,
0: because you've gone down some train of thought that popped up, and then what he does is he goes through like, so the first couple of days he's focusing on that a lot, and then he starts to focus on now, listen to the sounds that you're hearing, and just notice how the sound comes and it goes, and you've got no ability to prolong the sound, or to not hear, to not hear whatever that sound was, or, and then he's, like, focus on the sensations that you're feeling, so, like, the, like, the temperature of the air on your skin, or the pressure going through your legs as you're sitting, or whatever it is, like, just notice those things, and notice how you can't not feel those things, because mm-hmm. that's just, um, and so his his point really was that you start to learn that things happen to you and they're going to happen. They're going to they're going to go away, and the feelings that you feel are going to go away, and the thoughts that you feel are going to happen to you, and then they're going to go away, and you can gain control of your of your mind, much like you can gain control of a muscle through training it and so he says the biggest benefit that he's had is when you get into sort of difficult situations in everyday life where you maybe get angry about something or you uh like someone annoys you and instead of saying something and making the situation worse you're able to notice the angry feelings and the angry thoughts because you've practiced noticing thoughts yep And you'll be able to notice, okay, I'm feeling angry now and rationally think about it rather than letting that emotion take over. Yep. And that's what he said was like the main benefit of it. Hmm. And I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. I haven't done meditation for long enough to.
1: Yeah. I was going to, I was just about to ask you, have you, or do you like actively meditate?
0: No. Um, I, I mean, I did Sam Harris' would course you like for to, two weeks.
1: If you had more time, would you do it?
0: I don't even think it's a matter of time um, because like Sam Harris's app is like 10 minutes a day. Yeah, okay. Um, and really, when you get down to it, I don't think you need to sit down for 60 minutes and meditate mm-hmm. because nobody... And Sam Harris made this point quite a long time ago in his podcast in that meditating and actually focusing on your breath for like 15 seconds is almost impossible when you start. Yeah. And you realize because you're thinking about focusing on your breath, but then you start thinking about how you're supposed to be think like thinking about focusing on your breath. And so, yeah. and that is a, a distraction that starts. And then you think, Oh crap, like I'm supposed to be focusing on my breath. And this is like, uh, and then, it's very difficult to actually like two breaths in a row. It's very difficult.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so, yeah, I don't think you even need all that much time, but I think I would like to, but I think that there are at this point in my life, maybe other things that I'm more uh, like sort of valuing.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, uh, there's, there's, there I mean, I don't have the issue with time either. Yeah. So it's not, it's not that it was probably, it's probably to do with the valuing that time as well. It's, it's like, am I going to get anything out of this or am I going to waste 60 days sitting down for an hour each time? Am I just going to be feeling nothing by the end of it? Yeah. So well, I, I think, guess it's, I think on, yeah, that, I guess
0: it's, on that end, don't do it for an hour, do it for five minutes.
1: Yeah. I think that's probably a, a better, better option because I don't want to get to the end and be like, oh, I've just be- I've just sat down for, you know, an hour for 60 days. But in saying that, I think there's also a benefit for sitting down away from any stimulus and just being bored and just sitting there being bored. Yeah. Um, and that sort of just allows you to be more creative and stuff like that. Um, yeah,
0: I think that. I mean, I've recently, I guess you could say relapsed. I've got Instagram again. I don't have (laughs) Facebook anymore. And I don't feel a need to get Facebook. Yeah. Like it doesn't... There are times where I wish I had access to the events on Facebook. um, Mm -hmm. And I do sometimes check it just to check if anyone's added me. Just so I'm not rude and don't like respond to the friend request. But other than that, I literally like... I don't miss Facebook at all. It wasn't adding anything. Yeah, I do feel that Instagram kind of adds something, but I still worry about the amount that I scroll on Instagram, like mindlessly, just open it up and scroll. Um, so what I've done is I've... I allow myself to go on Instagram in the browser, in Chrome, mm-hmm. on my phone. Uh, and because it's like kind of a terrible experience, it doesn't work very well. I don't end up scrolling for all that long because it just like starts to load more stuff and like, oh, well, this is boring and I go and do something else. Um, I've
1: I found it really helpful recently is because I don't have that much time to be bored and, you know, your creative, your creative time is kind of limited to the shower or when you're driving in the car or, you know, something like that. I've just made like a little notes section in my phone. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything that sort of comes up when I'm sort of thinking, I'll sort of just jot it down there. So it might be like, you know, activities that I want to do or things I want to talk about on the podcast or an idea for a video or something like that or an area in the stock market that I want to look into, whatever it might be, I just sort of jot it down in my notes and then I sort of build up this list Yeah. because too often, you know, I think, oh, it's a passing thought, but it'll come back to me and, you know, when I need it.
0: Yeah, and then it doesn't. But it
1: it just never comes back to me when I need it. So, I found if I don't jot it down, it's gone. And it's probably gone, not forever, but it's gone for months. Like, it's not... Some things are just not going to come back.
0: Yeah. Well, interesting you say that. I listened this week. I was listening to the backlog of podcasts that Joe Rogan has done with Dan Carlin. Yep. Um, And... He's probably done like five of them. And I. they brought that up at one point saying that they take notes of things that they think about and ideas that they have and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes the idea never gets used but sometimes it does and like three months down the track they like are reading back over their notebook and oh, that's, yeah, I'm going to run with that. Like that makes total sense. I thought about something that combined with that, uh, you know, so I'm definitely going to look I think I might get a notebook um, mm. and then the other thing that I've been doing in that sense is I made a new website I kind of haven't re- really pushed it anywhere I did make a new um, a new Instagram account for it and I've been posting on there um, it's called curious investing it's at curiousinvesting.com and it's kind of like I'm still trying to build it out and make it look it's halfway decent yeah Um, but I've been blogging on there and so there's, um, six blog posts at this point on there. Okay. Um, and just sort of writing down some of the thoughts I've been having, like some of the things that sort of stick with, stick with me and I think about a lot, I try to write down and it's kind of half, I want to get the thoughts out and half, I want to improve how I write. Um yep. so yep. like those are sitting there like if anyone wants to read them they're at curiousinvesting.com and they're just on the blog page um and then the idea is I'm also going to kind of build it out as a resource for I guess my philosophy around investing and how like how I think about it so I've, I'm gonna I I'm going to start like the building title out of it. Yeah, I like the
1: title. It's very good.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of like what I'm going for is that the curious curious investing in that, like just learning about a bunch of random things and getting a view on the world at large, I think is very useful when it comes to investing Mm -hmm. Um, because the problem that I see in a lot of people is that they get very narrowly focused on the way that they invest or the people that they want to learn to invest from or the uh, like their investing strategy and the companies that they're researching. And they, they don't read widely. They don't yeah. learn widely. And I think that that's when Warren Buffett says that he reads a lot I think a lot of people take that to mean that he sits there and reads 10Ks all day, which I'm sure he spends a significant amount of his time doing. But I'm sure he reads a lot of other books as well and reads a lot of uh, the news and he reads very wide sources. And you can see, um, I kind of wanted to do something similar to what Bill Gates is doing. If you go, I think his website is um, gatesnotes.com. Mm-hmm. he's kind of like I kind of want to build it into something similar to that where he writes a lot of blog posts about um, random things and he writes about books that he's read and you can tell he's just a very well read individual um, and he, he's one of those people that posts uh, here's five books that I read this summer or here's the top five books I read this summer and here's the top ten books I read this year <laughs> And all this stuff. And like that's something I've been focusing on a lot recently. Is just reading more. And increasing my ability to read. Um, And I definitely think that...
1: Because you've really been going through the books. Books recently.
0: Yeah. And I've noticed this last week. My ability to read. And read quickly. Has gone up massively. Mm -hmm. Um, Like so... I, I was listening to a lot of books on Audible, and that was kind of the main way I was taking in books, but there's a lot of situations where I can't listen to Audible. Like, if I don't have anything else to do, like I'm just sitting down, I find it very difficult to focus on Audible. Yep. Um, and so there's a lot of time there where I, I don't get to read, um, and there's also just a lot of books that aren't available on Audible. Um and it's expensive as well. Like if you're going through a lot of books at like fifteen bucks a pop it adds up. So I went and joined the library. And there's ah, good. Good. There's like thousands of books there, just totally one hundred percent free. Yeah. And so you don't have to pay to read. Uh so I yeah, I went there's a library like down the road from my office. So I went and joined that and I got a book from there and nearly finished it actually. And so yeah, I've started like actually reading, um, and so yeah. I mean, I'm up to. I've got a spreadsheet where I've been tracking what I've been reading, just so I can remember. But in the last <laughs> um,
1: spreadsheet, everything goes on a spreadsheet. Everything spreadsheets yeah. are the best. Yeah, they but are the
0: yeah, best. in the last two weeks, I've read six books. Holy shit! Or I've finished six are books. You s- serious. Yeah, oh, it's five, sorry. Uh, yeah, five. Five books. Um, so, I mean, t- how many of those? There was one, two, three of those were on Audible. So I think I spoke about Apollo on the last podcast or two podcasts ago.
1: hmm
0: And I read, I listened to The Templars by Dan Jones and Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm um and then i read the plantagenets by dan jones which i'm writing a blog post at the moment about um and that was a hefty book it was like 600 pages yeah um and then uh prisoners of geography i read uh on my kindle and now that wasn't too long that was probably 200 pages or 250 pages Mm -hmm. um but yeah i've noticed in, I guess in talking about meditation, that's almost a form of meditation for me now. It's like I can I've learned to focus my attention on reading. When I started trying to sort of physically read books again, like a month ago when I was starting Prisons of Geography. Um well it probably wasn't even a month ago to be honest, it was like two two or three weeks ago. I was able to read like a chapter of that book, and a chapter was maybe 20 pages. Yeah. And then I would start to sort of like feel myself fatiguing a little bit and like getting distracted. Uh,
1: I've yeah. Saying that, I'd I've, I've noticed that as well, um, except I went the other way. So when I first came to university, I could sit down and study for hours, hours and hours and hours and yeah. not get fatigued studying and just consuming information. And yeah. then throughout my university degree, actually, it just continued to narrow yeah. like my focus. Do you think
0: so I, um, when, you, when you say studying, is that like reading and writing notes? and?
1: Yeah, reading and writing notes. Yeah. A lot cause of reading th- though.
0: Because I think, yeah, the, the difference is like, it's almost I'm not trying to do anything else. And this is part of what I'm like. I was trying to get, or what I want to try to get across on curious investing, mm-hmm. is that it's not about drawing connections, and it's not about developing an investing idea out of a book. It's just about reading the book. Yeah. And it's just a, it's just like that's all you're doing when you're reading the book. You're reading the book, and that's that. Um, and so I'm not trying to make notes. I'm not trying to do anything after I read a book, I try to write down what I remember. And I've got one note on my phone and I make when I'm not in a reading session, like later on during the day, I'll go and just sort of write down a few things that of note that I took from the book. Yeah. Um and I organise it by book in there. So I have Mm -hmm. a note for each one and then I just make the That's good. Um But yeah, I've noticed I've been able to one i've increased my reading speed and two i've been able to focus for much much longer periods of time um and the amount of time i spend watching like useless youtube videos has gone way way down as well yeah that's definitely because,
1: something i need to curb
0: <laughs> yeah because that was that for me was a huge issue yeah uh, a while ago i was just watching so much youtube
1: yeah. And they can, they got that little, that little feature where you can actually deter, like see how much you're watching per day on average. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, not a good thing to look at when you are been to YouTube. Yeah.
0: Mine wasn't pretty. I'll see what mine's at now. It's probably still pretty high. Um, time watched.
1: Where is it? In settings?
0: It's in, you can only get to it through the app.
1: Oh, okay. I can go on um, the app
0: then. So the last seven days, my, Daily average has been an hour. So, it's not too bad. It could be lower. But, like, yesterday, I watched 21 minutes. Okay. What was your daily average? One hour and four minutes.
1: My daily average is one hour and 22 minutes.
0: Yeah. So, you're actually, like, around what I'm doing as well.
1: Yeah. Um, But,
0: I mean... Mine could definitely be much lower.
1: Like, for example, yesterday... I didn't even know, but yesterday was two hours and 38 minutes. Wow. What the hell was I doing?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so- I have started watching sort of more useful videos. I've started watching like some TED Talks and I've watched um, yeah, like a lot of history documentaries on there about the sort of the medieval history that I was... Uh, that I was reading about, I watched the Dan Jones's documentary series about it. So that's part mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. But at the same time, like I still, I'm watching too much. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I've definitely read like reading. I just can't sort of uh, like recommend it enough. Hmm. Um, I've read about like create like a range of topics and it's just, it's, just so interesting yeah um I wanted- I'm, I'm reading liar's poker at the moment yep by michael lewis and i picked like i started it yesterday uh, it's i think it's 300 pages a copy Did I've you pick,
1: did you pick that up in the library as well
0: yeah yeah um so it's 300 pages and i think i'm on page 240 or something now mm-hmm. and i said i started it yesterday morning and it's like it doesn't feel like i've I've put a lot of time into reading, obviously. I read for... Like, I got in the office quite early yesterday to start reading it. And I read probably 45 minutes. And then uh, last night I read probably 45 minutes again. And then this morning I read for probably an hour, hour and 20 minutes before we started recording.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it just it's about... Uh, For me, at least, it's been about just making it a priority and that I, like, this is what I'm enjoying reading now. And so, instead of sitting on the couch and putting on Netflix, I sit on the couch and just pick up whatever book I'm reading because I'm enjoying reading it. And so... For me, I
1: think I was late to start liking reading because... What do you mean Late. Well, like, I never really got into books when I was young. I was, I'd was i always be outside and stuff. Mm-hmm. And whenever I experienced reading books, it was more the books Homework. they forced you to read at school. Yeah. Um. So I just always associated with that.
0: Homework, and you have to do it. Yeah. This is a big it, thing. I noticed... And I actually wrote... A, I don't know if I've published a blog post. Um, I wrote a blog post about this. Um, yeah, I have, I did write a blog post about it. Um, and this is like a big thing. I was very into reading when I was a kid,
1: Mm.
0: but then you get to school and that love of reading kind of dies because they make you read books and reading becomes part of your homework and it becomes some, it becomes a chore. It becomes something you have to do. Yeah. And even when you decide I want to read for fun, it almost becomes like something you're forcing yourself to do it because you know it's good for you, and it's like, like it, it becomes, it, it's still something that takes willpower to sit down and do um, for a while. And this is what I was finding when I started re- read, sitting down and reading physical books. I was finding like, oh, I know this is good. I should be doing this. I Like because all these people talk about the benefits of reading, and I I felt that. But Mm -hmm. as I got more, as I got the first book down, and then was getting into the second book, I realized, like actually, I'm enjoying this, and I I noticed there was a change in that. Rather than looking at sort of my what time it was when I got home. And say, like, so in the in the evenings, like, I need to obviously make dinner, I need to uh, read the news and plan for my podcast the next morning. Mm-hmm. And then if I have sort of other odd things to do, like uh, tests that I've done for recruiting or whatever, that those need to fit in somewhere. And rather than saying, okay, when am I going to fit in reading around these things? my brain has shifted to be, when am I going to fit these other things in around reading? Yeah. Um, And that just took a little bit of time, that just sitting down every day and really getting into it. Um, I did read Bill, Bill Gates has a blog post about this. And he makes a really interesting point is that he says, just read something that you're interested in. When you're like looking for a book to read, just pick out something that you're interested in. It doesn't necessarily have to be a super intellectual book or a big ranging history about something or if if like if you want, if you want to pick up some like fiction book, like pick it mm-hmm. up and read it. Uh, because you don't want to be fighting yourself to go and read a book that you're just not interested in. Yeah. Um and then the other thing he said was make sure you finish all the books you start. Yeah don't start books and then not finish them because then you don't get the satisfaction of finishing books
1: It also becomes a habit at that stage as well yeah you, it's it's much easier to do it with other books
0: yeah because if you if you start a book and then you're sort of getting a little bit bored with it and then you go and start another book and then when you start getting bored with that one you go and start another book I did that for the longest time and I was mm-hmm. never finishing books. And so, if I looked at, oh, what's the list of books I've read this year? It was like three books. But I've read 75% of a bunch of others, but I haven't finished them. So, I didn't really get the satisfaction of finishing them.
1: Yeah. I found that for me, I was always trying to force myself to read fiction books. Yep. And I picked up nonfiction books and I loved it. So, it hadn't even appeared, like, I I hadn't even considered reading nonfiction books and that's what I love to do so that's just all yeah. I do now
0: yeah like I've read I haven't read any fiction this year but um, Audible if you've got an Audible subscription they have a uh, they've recently added every month the, they have an editor's pick and so far it's been fiction books and you get that for free on top of everything else you get mm-hmm um so those have been fiction books so far and i think what i'm going to do is i'm going to sort of make a rule for myself to read the editor's pick each month to get Mm -hmm. some fiction in yeah as well and there's some other fiction books that i that i've got in there that i'll read at some point but yeah definitely fiction books i mean that you can learn a lot from fiction books um yeah but But yeah I, i prefer it's a different kind of
1: vocab yeah, is. different
0: vocab, different... Um, I mean, you can read like historical fiction and get an idea of what it was like to live at a certain time or you get... You, you learn different things from fiction that you don't learn so much from, from non-fiction. Yeah. But yeah, like I've sort of found uh, that I, I gravitate towards non-fiction and that's like what Bill Gates was saying is just read the thing that interests you most at the time. Mm-hmm when you need to choose the new book and then make sure you finish it.
1: Yeah. Um, I just wanted to quickly pivot to another one of the points that I came across this week. So, yeah. I hope he doesn't mind that I'm actually going to read out one message here. Um, but I was talking, talking to a guy this week. He was sort of... He's out of the market because he got really bearish mm-hmm. and... I don't know if picking individual stocks is f- for him. Yeah. So I suggested, you know, there's always index funds or ETFs or whatever you might want, where you don't actually have to worry about picking individual stocks. Sure, you're going to experience uh, negative returns every now and then, but you know, you don't have to worry as much in in sort of picking them. And yeah, he said your that. Skills. Yeah, yeah. But the problem that I seen was so this is the message. So, I basically said that, you know, you could give money to an advisor and, you know, if you wanted to and they could just do the investing for you. Um, But he said, uh, see, I thought that, but then say five years later and it's up 10% and that's all it's going to be up. Um, I've just wasted years of my life and savings. And it was the final sentence, I've just wasted years of my life and savings that really stood out to me Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: it's something that I fell into at the start as well Mm -hmm. as I think maybe other people as well who sort of participate in the stock market a lot. There's a tendency when you sort of get too involved in it to wish away, like if you're really excited for Monday open with the stock market, it's too easy to wish away your weekend. Yeah. And people because this is a young person by the way. Yeah. Everywhere they see, they see, you know, you need to compound your money early on in life in order for it to be um, to have the most impact later on when you go to yep. retire. Yep. I mean, it's just just obvious. But to say that you're un say you're unable to compound your money for the first 10 years for whatever reason, I think it's dangerous to say that You've wasted your life, yeah, when like your life shouldn't be just around compounding your money, you know what I mean? Yeah, like there should be more to more to life than just trying to grow your bank account for retirement. And I think there's probably some people out there, maybe some people that are listening that might fall into this. Um, so it's definitely something to have a think about if if that's if that's you. And sort of yeah. see what you're actually trying to get out of life.
0: Yeah. I definitely think that I was I was sort of falling into this trap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, I was thinking about everything in terms of, well, how much is this going to go into my savings? Like, if I go and do this thing, then I'm not going to be able to save that money. And I want to compound my money as quickly as possible. And I want to... I I was going like full tilt that way.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But I've realized I was living a a life that I wasn't I wasn't super happy because every time I spent any money, I was feeling guilty about it because I c- could have saved that money and or invested that money. I was also sort of inconveniencing myself all the time because instead of catching a bus somewhere and spending two bucks on the bus I would walk and then take 40 minutes to get there when it could have taken me 10 mm-hmm. um, and I was yeah just in general I, I wasn't living in a way that I think was sort of useful yeah um, because I was I was totally in that in that mindset but i I saw something interesting this week on linkedin um David Solomon was having a conversation with someone they asked him about career advice and I think it's kind of useful here in that they asked him well what what's your what's your biggest career advice like that you could give to young people and he said just like don't be in a hurry um like don't, don't life is long and you've got sort of a long career ahead of you, you don't need to be constantly planning about like what's your next move going to be and what's your like, career goal and where is this going to put you and all this stuff. Like, Just like sort of take stock and experience what you're doing and take away from it the lessons that you can and then one day think about like moving on but he gave a story about someone who was, this was earlier in his career, where mm. someone came to him to ask for career advice, and they asked, like they they said, oh, "I I'd, I'd like some some advice on what I should do next after this current job I'm in." And he asked, "Oh, so so, do you like the job?" And she said, "Yeah, the job's great." And he asked, "Do you?" like the the manager and she said yeah the manager's great she teaches me a lot and i get along really well with her and he was like do you like the company and she said yeah i, I love working at goldman sachs and it's mm-hmm. that i do really interesting work and, was, and he said so go back and do your job like mm. if you're if you're enjoying it why are you spending your time thinking about what you're going to do next already. You've been in a job nine months. Just do your job for a while. And yeah. I think that th- this is something that can be applied to like, this situation where you say, well, what happens if in in 10... in What, what do you say? In 10 years, it's only gone up 10%. Oh, I said five years, but I'm just five picking years.
1: any arbitrary number. Yeah. yeah.
0: So let's say in five years, it's only gone up 10%. Like, okay. Well, they could be worse... Outcomes and that yeah, it could have gone down ten percent. It could have gone down ninety percent. So there's worse outcomes than it going up ten percent. And I think that we've got this odd, we've got we've got this odd um, benchmark where we sit here and say that we've got to beat the market. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, okay. So so we've chosen the the top five hundred stocks, S and P five hundred. We've chosen the S&P 500. We want to beat the S&P 500. Like, okay. Like, so you want to be like, why? Why do you want to beat the S&P? Because everyone else says that that's the, that's the benchmark. Yeah, probably. Is beating and the average. S&P 500. It's the average. Okay. But it's the average of the top 500 companies. It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. It's, it, it makes the most sense from a, an academic perspective, that we want to beat the average, otherwise we just want to take the average. Mm-hmm. Like okay, but how much is it affecting your life to be one percent behind the average? Mm. Like at the end of the day, how much is it affecting your life? Like it, it, the the way I think about a lot of these things, and the way I started thinking about a lot of these things is like in tomorrow morning when I get up, am I going to change what I do now? well, am am I going to change tomorrow morning's routine because of what is happening now? So if Mm -hmm. I miss the average by 1%, am I going to change tomorrow morning's routine? And the answer is is probably no. Yeah. Now, if, if you put your money, all your savings, with a money manager who turns out to be running a massive Ponzi scheme and he runs away with your money... Are you going to change tomorrow morning's routine? Probably. Mm. Like, so I think it's worth putting things in perspective and thinking about them. It's like, how much is it going to affect your day-to-day life if you miss the average a little bit? Like, yes, you can... look. Yeah.
1: I was going to say, we're obviously a finance podcast. So we're obviously trying to do um, well in the market. But I just think it's dangerous to measure success in life by only just that one measure of yeah. how much money you you have at the end. Yeah. And when you're measuring it against, say, the S and P or the market average, you're you're measuring it against the average of other people. I just think you're Yeah, you're almost setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. And and that's not how you wanna how you wanna end it. So
0: No. And I, I think about it like you open up a compound interest calculator mm-hmm. and you say, Oh, well, if, uh, I managed to get the, what's the average that gets thrown around is what? Like 7%? 8%. 8%. 8% is always
1: thrown
0: around. So 8% gets thrown around. So you plug it in and you say, okay, if I put in a thousand dollars every month or every six months or whatever your number is, and like, look how much, if I put in an extra $20, Look how much after 50 years, that's going to grow my ending balance by $300,000 or whatever it is, because that's like the the big selling points of compound interest, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Is that after 50 years, like little changes now are going to be massive in the future. And like that, that's cool. Like, yeah. But also like, what about today? Like, why Why are you living for 50 years' time? Yeah. Um, and, of course, like you said, we're a finance podcast. We're trying to do as well as we can in the market. But, like, I really just... I think that people... We're while, also
1: enjoying ourselves, though, because we wouldn't be doing the podcast if we didn't enjoy it. No, like we, we make if zero we our- money out of this yeah, podcast. Exactly. If we're doing it purely for monetary gain, well, we wouldn't be doing it.
0: Yeah, or we would be making a one-hour podcast and we would be spending a lot of time thinking about exactly how we wanted to uh, structure the podcast and we would be running different segments and like we would be doing all this stuff and it's like, we we enjoy just having the conversations and Mm. whatever and... Like, I think that, like, so for example, next, uh, on Friday, um, I'm going to watch uh, Downton Abbey with my girlfriend Mm -hmm. because like we watched the show together and we enjoyed the show and they're making a movie. So we decided to go and, um, like go, there's a cinema nearby that does, Mm -hmm. um, it's one of these sort of really fancy cinemas where they'll bring you food in the middle and there's like big reclining armchairs and whatnot. And it's like ridiculously expensive. Mm -hmm. But this is like sort of something that we're like, oh, like, why not? Why not go and do it? Like we, We don't, we're not stupid with money the rest of the time. So let's go and do this ridiculously expensive movie. Yeah. movie night and like we're not going to do it we haven't been to a movie and i can't remember the last time i went to watch a movie at the cinemas
1: there was oh, i wish i could remember what movie was coming out soon there is a movie that i do want to watch that's coming out soon yeah you just jotted my memory yeah but yeah um, it it makes sense just to spend a bit of money every now and then to enjoy yeah. life
0: yeah and we're gonna enjoy that and that's gonna be fun and i mean like i drink i went through a Oh, I didn't go through a stage. But when I started enjoying whiskey, I would sort of like pour the li- like the smallest little glass of the whiskey when I, when I would drink because I didn't want to sort of run out of a bottle and have to go and buy more and that's expensive. And I kind of realized like I'm not enjoying the whiskey as much mm-hmm. but because I'm pouring such a little bit And every time I, if I pour a little bit more, then I feel, I feel guilty. The story of how
1: Jason became an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. I must have half a
0: bottle if I am to enjoy it. (laughs) But no, like I was like, cause I I drink like sort of expensive whiskey. And so what I realized is like, if I'm going to have a glass, I'm going to pour myself a, a good glass of whiskey. I'm gonna enjoy it, and it doesn't matter that it costs a lot and it like whatever, because if you go through life worrying about how much everything costs, I think you're just gonna be unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this guy, like my advice to this guy would be go and dump your money in index funds. If you're if you're really struggling with picking stocks, I would say from a financial perspective, dump some money in index funds. If you want to pick stocks, then have some money and pick stocks. Mm-hmm. Be financially smart about it and make sure that you can lose the money that you're, that you're investing. And like, learn to pick stocks if you want to learn to pick stocks. Otherwise, just dump it in index funds. Don't worry too much about it. Go and do yeah. the thing that you really enjoy and that you're good at. Like... When you get to, I can guarantee you when we get to 50, the world's going to be a totally different place and index funds aren't going to be the way to invest in 50 years. I can guarantee you
1: mm-hmm.
0: like 100%. Index funds weren't the way to invest 50 years ago and they won't be the way to invest 50 years from now. And so just like do that now and then in 50 years it's going to change and like the world's going to be a different place. So don't stress too much about it, I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's good advice.
0: Like right. you think about how much the world has changed during our parents' lives, like massively, massively changed. Um, and so, if they were super worried about how they were investing, I mean, you, you look at success stories even. I know success stories is kind of like a biased way to look at it. You don't get the whole picture. But look at someone like Joe Rogan. Like what, he was having some fun. Like he he would go to bars at night and do stand-up. Yeah. And go and uh, roll around doing jiu-jitsu. And he somehow made that into a career. And now he... Yeah. And, and then he started a, a stream. Remember stream back in the day? That's where the podcast Ustream. started. Really? Do you, rem- do you remember Ustream? No, I don't remember. No. It was like... It, it was... a. Uh, one of the early streaming services. Um, I don't know if it still exists. It might still exist. Um, what did I used to watch on Ustream? I used to watch something on Ustream. Um, probably podcasts. Um, but anyway, um, on Ustream, it uh, looks like it's been bought out by IBM.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's been bought out by IBM. Um, but yeah you, you they basically just got together, him and some of his friends, and they started just chatting shit on Ustream, and now look at it.
1: yeah, I mean he's one of the most influential people out there.
0: yeah, I think he's like he's right at the center of a lot of what's going on, so yeah, it's um, I would say just don't stress too much about it. if it's causing you stress, like don't stress it's, it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. Like, enjoy your life. Be smart about how you're enjoying your life. Like, when when people say, oh, just, just go and do what you want. Like, obviously, within limits and within what's smart, but don't, like, get hung up over, like, 1% or 2%. That's not yeah. worth
1: it. There's, um yeah. I was going to say, we've been running for nearly a couple of hours now. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Because there's just a couple of... Um, I put a post out earlier today. Yeah, I saw we had a question.
0: Like...
1: Yeah, there's a couple of little... So I thought maybe we could just provide a quick yeah. comment on those two two points we have there. Yeah. So the
0: first... I'll just uh, put in one thing that I noticed when I was reading uh, The Plantagenets this week. Yeah, go for it. Um, it's about bonds. So bonds have been around a very, very long time. And for people who don't quite know... Bonds are debts, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you buy a bond, and when you buy the bond, you're essentially lending money to someone, and then they will pay back the money. Yeah. Um, and sort of most bonds these days are unsecured, which means it's just a legal contract that they have to pay you back money. Um, but way back when, like the, the book I was reading, the bonds would have been secured against stuff, uh, mostly land. Um, Mm -hmm. so this is sort of, we're talking the 1200s and 1300s, which is how long they've been around. And so they would have been secured against land. And the thing about land back then is if you owned land, it wasn't like owning a plot to put your house on. You would own large areas of land Mm -hmm. and other people would live on that land and you would by owning the land, you would have the right to collect taxes off of it uh from those people who lived on your land and so people would buy bonds nowadays we see defaulting on bonds has being a bad thing yeah like you're not going to get as much money back back then it was completely the opposite in that people if it would if it looked likely that a bond was going to default people would go and buy the bond because then it would become likely that they would get the land that was secured against the bond hmm um and be able to collect taxes for for the rest of time essentially I just thought it was interesting how it's completely been flipped on its head yeah but now if the default if the default becomes likely, the bond becomes worth zero but if the b- back then if the default became likely the bond got worth more and more anyway That's uh, so what, interesting. what were the questions we had uh so we had the
1: first one. So, sorry if I butchered this name, but it was Trey Witt Chung. Mm-hmm. So, he just asked if we could provide a comment on just commodities in general. So, gold, silver, nickel, lithium. And I guess, for me, when I think about commodities, I, I you have to try and pick, I think, where they are in their cycle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, commodities generally follow a pretty simple cycle where you have the commodity, say the price is rising. So you have a lot of juniors that come onto the market in order to take advantage of that price. Yep. And then, um, once they sort of stuck into production, they start flooding the market and then there's oversupply fears. And then you have the decline in price because there's too much supply and those juniors start to, um, Maybe they're defaulting on debt because they've leveraged too much debt in order to get their mine up and running or whatever it might be. So, I guess for commodity related stocks, I would be looking at or trying to pick first where they are in their cycle. Yep. Um, so, the most, or well, the one that I know most is the lithium. So, obviously, lithium is under in a bear market and. A lot of the juniors are struggling to stay afloat. Yeah. So you're not in the the type of environment where you're going to get explosive growth in those smaller companies. Only when those sort of later entries are pushed out of the market and supply stabilizes, will you get that increase in price again and those stocks increase in value again.
0: Yeah. I think yeah. On From my perspective, I think like I'm not that up on commodities, um, Mm -hmm. at least from from the perspective you are. Um, I think I I watch oil a lot. I find oil really interesting. Right now, oil is very
1: different to the metals.
0: Yeah. um, Oil, because it's so widely used and it's such a vital resource, it's totally different. Um, Right now, I would be. I'd be watching obviously the the Persian Gulf. Um it seems things are heating up. There hasn't been too much coming out of the Persian Gulf recently uh in terms of uh the whole Iranian crisis, I guess you could say. It seems it's sort of cooled down, but I would be I would be watching the Persian Gulf if anything happens there. Um, you're like oil is going to skyrocket in price Mm -hmm. um, just because so much oil comes from there and it can so easily be cut off uh, through the Strait of Hormuz. Uh, So the, the oil price will skyrocket. I think that OPEC are meeting relatively soon, so that will sort of dictate the price of oil around that time. But OPEC are obviously becoming far less sort of um relevant in today's world. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the. US is now becoming they're an oil exporter now, so they matter. Um, wouldn't know how much. and then I think the last last piece of the puzzle is what China do now when it comes to the trade war because I think they they slapped a 10% tariff on American crude. Mm -hmm. which I thought was going to shoot up the price, but it didn't really. Um, Not as much as I thought it was going to anyway. I think it went up about 4% at one point this week, but it seems to have stabilized. Um, So I don't know what's going to happen there, but also with the trade war happening, I think that right now there's a lot of oil in Iran that is sort of... Uh, no, no one can get to because of the American sanctions. And I think if the trade war continues to escalate, that China is just going to go, well, screw it, we'll buy Iran's oil, and that can crash the price of oil. So there's kind of two ways it can go with Iran. Either they're going to cause the price of oil to go way up, or they're going to cause it to go way down. Um, and it'll be interesting to watch that. Yeah. Um and then I guess I don't really know all that much about the other, the other commodities. I do watch um, Iron Ore a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year has been relatively interesting, obviously, because uh, of the, the Vale Dam collapse, which uh, like doubled the price of Iron Ore in a pretty short yeah, space was of time. Crazy. Yep. Um, but that seems like it might be coming back online relatively soon. I think they've started some production there, so but not fully. So when that comes fully back online, I think we're we already starting to see obviously the price fall. But I think it'll continue, continue to go down back to probably the pre-collapse levels.
1: I think so too. Um,
0: uh,
1: with with commodities too, um, depending on the length of the move, like he is in his comment, he's got mention of like the top tier. ASX-related stocks, so just top-tier. Generally, when you have a move in either of these commodities, you're going to have the top-tier companies move first. Yeah. And then if if the price move is sort of extended over a long period of time, and you've seen this with the iron ore, you had the majors move first, and then the smaller speculative companies, the money sort of flowed down to them later on. Uh, So... If these price moves are going to be extended, you can make a, quite a bit of money from these speculative companies if you think it's going to continue. Yeah. Um, because generally there's a, a lag in the money flow from when it comes into the majors and then flows into the, the smaller companies.
0: Yeah, and I think that's largely to do with how the, um, how the market actually operates. Mm -hmm. i know that iron ore there was a lot of um the chinese were making a lot of noise about iron ore Mm -hmm. a little while ago where you've got to remember that i think the price that we often see quoted for these uh for these commodities are sort of their futures prices Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes to actually the physical commodity they they run on very different systems for selling them. Like you can't just sort of like go somewhere and buy some iron ore. Like you're buying sort of shiploads of iron ore um, and they happen at auctions and it's there's a sort of very different system and that's why the the majors will move quickly because they're going to have much more access to the physical market yeah. um, than the, the minor companies will. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. um, it, it, it'd be worth like going and like learning about that stuff, how the actual markets, uh, the, the physical markets work. Um,
1: especially if you're planning to get heavily involved in commodities. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's plenty of other markets to get involved in as well. Yeah. Um, second question was, well, second point was from Tim Biles. Mm-hmm. So, he just asked if we could provide our thoughts on the housing market, I'm assuming it's the Australian housing market. Yeah. Um it seems to be rising, uh, but fundamentals have not changed. So we talked about this briefly in the last so wait, podcast. Wait.
0: Fundamentals have changed though, the interest rates are down.
1: Yes, that's true. Um, so that's so I mean there has been an uptick in the uh market itself. Yep. Um obviously real estate is I think more complex than people make out to be.
0: Yep.
1: Um, I think in, I wouldn't. Well, you could probably make money in most most markets, but the the pocket of real estate that you could buy that you can make money in, it just sort of shrinks.
0: It's very difficult so, because, um, like one of my majors at at uni is real estate, mm-hmm. and one of the things I've realised is that there's there's a lot more players in the real estate market that have a big effect on how. Uh, transactions happen and how prices move Um, so for example i sit next to the the mortgage guy at at my office he does all all the mortgages and he had a client who was buying two identical blocks of land next to each other Mm -hmm. Um, and there were two separate valuers so one valued one and one valued the other and they had a price difference of like fifty thousand dollars what yeah but they were identical. They were they were next to each other and identical, okay. and they were fifty thousand dollars difference. I so mean, I guess it's
1: very subjective then, if it's.
0: You. It is. It's highly subjective. Um, it's it's uh. It comes down the nec- to
1: whatever the next person is willing to pay for it.
0: Yeah. So basically, what what the the value of a um of a property in an academic context. Is is defined to be the the value that it would be exchanged at in a transaction at arm's length uh, between two fully informed individuals who uh, with a proper to, proper marketing uh, process. Yeah. And so when a valuer comes to value a property, they are supposed to value it in regards to that, and so they take into account previous. Uh, Property sales in the area, the property market. They also take into account the the surrounding properties, uh, what that specific property is, what the additions to it are, all this sort of stuff. It's it, but it's a very subjective process. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to like two percent moves in price or whatever, I wouldn't be uh, paying too much attention to that. Yeah, um, I would be paying attention to more sustained. Uh, movements one direction or the other Um, in terms of
1: what do you think in terms of a recovery in the housing market with the amount of debt that Australians are holding at the moment like I think personally I think there could be a a blip but a sustained rally back up with the amount of debt that we're holding even though money is really cheap at the moment um, to me it seems more unlikely what are your thoughts?
0: I think that um, I don't see a lot of, at least from my perspective, I don't see a lot of debt stress in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not seeing, like, yes, we have a lot of debt, but I think that there's also not, there's not like a, a, that, that debt isn't stressing the average Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that's too much of an issue, um, in terms of the property market, like I think that prices have obviously been coming up a little bit. Um, but I think that's mostly because supply is quite low in the market right now. Um, so clearance rates are up at like 80%, but there's also not that many properties on the market.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, so from that perspective, I don't know how much we can read into it right now. I think we need to wait um, through the next sort of two or three months um, because a lot of our data from the property market comes from uh, auction clearance rates. And this presents a bit of a problem because there's a lot of factors that come into auctions that can distort distort the results so like one the value is uh can distort the results um the kind of uh the weather can distort the results if it's a really horrible uh weekend in terms of weather clearance rates are going to be down because a lot of these auctions happen in the garden or like in the front garden of a house and people just don't want to show up so it actually has a major effect um, so I think as we start warming up and more buyers start turning out, um, or sorry, as it starts warming up and more buyers are expected to start turning out, uh, we may start to see more, uh, supply come on the market and we'll get a better view of what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing to take, uh, to take into account, like I think when we talk about the fundam- fundamentals of the property market, like I, I don't know quite what. Um, Tim I'm not was sure what Tim was looking at. Getting at there, I guess. Like from my perspective, the fundamentals are the access to credit, um, and so we've had rates come down by fifty basis points in the last uh, three or four months, mm-hmm. um, and then we've also like because it's so long ago we tend to forget but the royal commission happened and so credit has tightened quite significantly or i wouldn't say credit has tightened but there are there's kind of a balancing act right now between um, rates coming down and apra changed their servicing requirement for mortgages so mm-hmm. before i think you had to be able to service 7% or 7.25% um, it's now down to, I think, 2.5% above the rate. Okay. Um, yeah. So it doesn't have to be 7%, um, which means that in general, you have to service about 5% now, 5 5.5%. Um, so that's kind of loosened up credit. But on the other hand, the banks are really scared to lend at the moment. Um, yeah because of the royal commission and a lot of there's also at the beginning of the new financial year the banking code of practice came in um which is significant because it's changed a lot of uh how the banks operate when they're lending money and so i think that there's a tightness of credits at the moment which is now starting to loosen a little bit i think the banks are starting to get on their feet a little bit more and re- know how they can operate in, in the post-Royal Commission world. So I think that credit is loosening a little bit now uh, in in sort of combination with the lower rates. So I think there's definitely... Uh, the fundamentals have changed somewhat. Um, but it it's too early to tell if we're in for a total recovery or if that's just a blip.
1: Mm. i think that's a good place to leave it there
0: yeah we've been going for a while this might be our longest episode
1: (laughs) not quite Um, it's up there though it's in the top
0: few yeah yeah that's a that's a good place to leave it